consumers, culture, and support. This is Streaming Audio, a podcast about Kafka, Confluent, and the cloud. Welcome back to Streaming Audio. I'm Tim Berglund. Today, my co-host Gwen Shapira answers a handful of your questions and also interviews Sam he- Sam Het Sam Hecht. Uh, terrible with names. Head of customer support here at Confluent. Check it out. Welcome back to Ask Confluent. I'm your host Gwen Shapira, and with me today is Sam Hecht. Sam is director of customer operations here at Confluent, and he's going to be here to help me with one of the most difficult questions I have to answer. Kafka 2.0. is kind of like at the final run toward the release. Uh, so if you haven't been following up in the Kafka community on the, mostly on the mailing list, you, now would be a totally good time to check in. So just so you know, basically code freeze happened this week. We are supposed to have the release candidate any day now. As usual, there is some blockers, strugglers, last minute fixes to go in. And one of the most important things You should be doing right now is really building downloading testing try out all the new features give feedback to the community so we will when we have the final release it will actually be you know, somewhat nicely tested and have the good stuff in it in working condition the cool features that are going to come in first of all we have a bunch of security features so and looking over here we have access controllists are getting wildcards which should make it a lot easier to manage your security which has always traditionally been kind of a pain we're getting a very nice community contribution adding OAuth authentication which is about time cool bug fixes so you know how if you upgrade kafka and you have a very old client it can somehow bog down resources kill your memory usage We fixed some really big issues around that. So upgrades are supposed to be way smoother. I think the support load around <laughs> upgrades is going to drop down by quite a bit because I've seen a lot of cases just based on this one bug. So this is going to get a lot better. We are dropping support for Java 7. If you're in Java 7, watch out. This is one upgrade. You may want to wait up a bit until you're done getting rid of Java 7. Note that Java 7 is totally end of life to buy Oracle. So you really shouldn't be there anymore anyway. And then another cool thing, if you are one of the Scala fans who used to complain that, hey, why are all the clients in Java all the time? We've added the Scala APIs to Kafka Streams. Nice contribution from the guys in, at Lightband. So I'm definitely looking forward to this release. Cool stuff coming up. So last uh, week I was in Minneapolis. And I was there to Mini Analytics is a pretty cool conference, by the way. If you're somewhere in that area, Mini Analytics is highly recommended. And I also visited a few customers and, you know, I tweeted, hey, I'm going to be in Minneapolis. And this guy, Dave, said, hey, why don't you drop by and meet my team? We're a cool team and we're going to order ice cream. So obviously I hear ice cream, so I show up. And he has, like, he works at this quite traditional agricultural company. But his team are like basically 10, 20 people trying to drag the company kicking and screaming into 21st century. They're trying to do Kubernetes and Kafka and they have all those cool use cases, basically helping the rest of the company come up to speed on those cool new technologies. So obviously he's built a built pretty cool team. And Sam, you also built a pretty cool <laughs> team. Probably the coolest team. I mean, you've been at Confluent. 
as long as I have, so around three years now. Just after you, because you interviewed me. Yeah, true. So Grilled yes, we, but for, I think you may have been the first person I interviewed for Confluent. So you were one of the earliest members of Confluent in general. You joined pretty much at the same time I did. And you've grown the support team from zero to however many you are now. That's kind of amazing. And you're all over the place. Well, how many countries are you in now? Um, we're... All around, the sun never sets on the Confluent support team now. We've got folks in Australia and London, Paris, uh, and then all across the United States. Amazing. I bet our accounting team is kind of grumping about having to file taxes in all those locations. And a lot of people we hired didn't really know that much Kafka when they joined, right? Yeah, if we, if we only hired people that had previous Kafka experience, I'd run out of people to hire pretty quick. Yeah, that's a, that is a difficult skill to hire. So how do you take a group of people... Uh, hiring fast and make sure they all know Kafka. Yeah. So, well, the first thing we do is we make them all read Kafka, the Definitive Guide by Gwen <laughs> Shapira as step that one. It was totally, I, I did not pay him to say that. But I'm actually didn't. not kidding. First thing we do is we give all new hires a copy of that book. And it is really a, a great place to start if you're looking for, you know, I'm new, going to be working with Kafka you know, what's, what's a great place to start on getting up to speed. We have all of our new hires read that. I realized early on that I wouldn't be able to just hire people with previous Kafka experience. So we've, we've invested a lot in, in that process of how do we ramp people up to the level of expertise that they need to have to help people, you know, running it at uh, massive scale and large clusters. Um, and well, the first thing that we do, you know, with, with the profiles of people that we're looking for, and I think this kind of translates to anybody who's trying to build a team of people who are going to have to work, um, you know, running, running Kafka, but also, you know, many of our customers are running their own internal Kafka or Confluent as a service offering for other yeah. teams, providing support much, you know, to those development teams, just like we are for our customers. Um, and so, you know, we, we heavily emphasize there's, there's some must haves that all of our candidates have to have. We heavily emphasize. It, it emphasizes like empathy, you know, just so that we, because collaboration is really important for our team um, and an ability to, you know, really empathize with our customers and the pains that they're feeling. And then, you know, work closely with, we, we, we depend on our core engineering team and the sales team and close interactions there. So, so uh, from culture fit's really important for us. I guess the people also have to be like ridiculously level headed. I mean, a lot of times when you have incidents, it's like super high pressure environment. Yeah. So that's another thing for us that's, uh, you know, um, right so far in terms of, of the team that we've built and we're we're looking at ways to, you know, train people on the um, the soft skills side of, of support is trickier to train than just teaching somebody about Kafka. Um, but so far we've we've had to hire people who, you know, when a customer calls up and, you know, uh, mission critical system is down, money's fallen on the floor, they can stay cool and, and, you know, help calm that customer down and make sure that we're pulling all the right resources. So because training on soft skills is harder, you basically hire for the soft skills and then train them on Kafka versus the other way around. Yes. Yeah, so, so there, you know, we're, there's different areas of soft skills, like being able to be calm under fire. I'd be doing my, anybody I hired a disservice if they were somebody who was, really going to be uncomfortable with getting a, a, you know, a pager going off and needing to get a production system back yeah. up with a lot of eyes on it. So, you know, but in terms of, of uh, soft skills, when it comes to, you know, how to most efficiently uh, handle communication inside of a complex customer team, you know, we teach some of that. You shouldn't just look at this as, um, as something that you can fire up 
uh, because you've got Hadoop experience, you budget a short amount of time, thinking it'll translate, and then hand it off to your DBA team to run. Um, I think it's it's important to know that you know you're going to want to budget for time to give you know to have your team members go through training. And then one of the things I notice is that like, Confluent culture in general is super customer centric. We think about customers I think from product down. And I think you had actually a lot to do with that. Like I remember you from the very early meetings, kind of just in every meeting, you remind everyone, look, we have we should think more of our customers. You should put customer at the center and build from that. Do you have tips for just people, some of our customers are also trying to transform the internal culture? Maybe not in order to be more customer-centric, maybe in order to be more innovative, more open to change, maybe even more open to failure. Mm -hmm. Those cultural shifts seem kind of difficult. I'm wondering if you have tips on how to make those uh, happen. I think there's a few, there's a couple of themes that pop to mind in terms of ways that I've found to be most successful in terms of like trying to drive cultural change. Um, one, and, and this one's particularly applicable to, you know, this the, the uh, customer success mindset that I've tried to, to preach in, in Confluent um, is, is really just kind of comes back to empathy and, and taking the time. If I need to ask one of our engineers to get on a call, to stop what they're doing t- for the, the next release and to get on a call with one of our big customers, you know, it's, it's worth investing the time to help them understand you know, what is the customer impact? Why is the customer stressed out? Who is looking at the problem on the customer side? What, what you know, the reward will be for that customer if we help them be successful? Um, and I think, you know, taking the time to, to you know, our whole engineering team doesn't have the opportunity to see exactly what our customers are doing the way that I do on a day-to-day basis. And I think taking the time to really, you know, put that that personal touch or, you know, give them, give them that uh, perspective into what's actually going on with the customer using the product um, has gotten really great results for me. And people are, you know, way more interested in engaging with our team and helping our customers when, you know, they can actually see the impact of what they're doing and, and knowing the why behind what, what I'm asking them to do. One thing that we've done that I think is really um, showing good returns in terms of kind of driving cultural change and giving us actual results is coming back to data, taking the time. We, we take the time to put together thoughtful presentations based on the actual data of the tickets we're seeing, the problems we're seeing with customers and like quotes from customers yes. to tell the story of what the problem is and also, you know, give our product team and engineering team a clear place to start from in terms of like, okay, now we know where, how to help you so you'll stop screaming. I absolutely <laughs> adore the presentations that you guys do for product and they're open to the entire company, which I also love this level of transparency and I love the customer quotes, but my favorite thing is the very scientific formula at which pain points are rated. Yeah. You remember what it is? I think it was um, how embarrassing the bug is <laughs> times how painful the bug yeah. is. So some things are not very painful, but they're super embarrassing that people have to run into. Yeah. And I absolutely love our scientific prioritization formula <laughs> for issues. So to move on, I'm now going to start answering the qu- questions from the internet, as promised, otherwise than make Sam answer my questions. And the first is a question that I got via Twitter, but a guy actually asked me to answer a question on Stack Overflow. The question was, when Kafka auto commit is enabled, does the same offset get committed multiple times? And this is a question like, why would anyone care if the offset gets committed multiple times or not? Like, why does it matter? But when you really get into it, he's actually asking whether committing the offset multiple times 
if it in fact happens, is something that will prevent the consumer group from being aged out. And this is an interesting thing when it, it must happen to support as well, where someone asks a question, but his real question is different. <laughs> the qu- and just answering yes or no to that question does not necessarily tell him what he needs to know in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. He's looking for something completely different. So the really interesting thing about the question, he's basically asking about offset retention. And offset retention is something that not many people know about. It's one of the biggest gotchas. Basically, if you have a consumer group and it's consuming and you committed offset, so you know you've read up to offset 100, and now you shut down the consumer group and you start it again in three days. What will happen when you start it? Naively, you may assume that it will just pick up at the last commit and continue. This will be true starting from the next release of Kafka. What we have right now on the other end is that after a day, by default, it's a day of inactivity, the consum- the broker will forget all about the consumer group. And this is to prevent, if you have a very busy system, just prevent old consumer groups from testing and debugging to just accumulate and accumulate and kind of bog down the system. So it was with a good cause, but then a lot of people in development, they start a consumer group that was down for a few days, they get totally taken by surprise. And this is the kind of thing that is embarrassing. Like you, it's kind of a very weird thing to have to pay attention to when you're developing for Kafka. Nobody ever guesses that behaviors are caught by surprise. And for me, it's like, always, I want to make you successful. And this is obviously not working very well. So this is going to be fixed in the next release of Kafka. It's getting to seven day delay, which is more reasonable. And then afterwards, there is an entire plan on how to fix it in a more generic way and just not forget, not have to forget users just because they're inactive. So there was kind of more intelligence behind it. So just if you learn nothing else from this uh, episode, pay attention to the offset retention and know that consumer groups could get forgotten. Now, auto commit, does auto commit of offsets really commit the offset even if nothing changes, even if consume nothing else? The question on uh, stack overflows, I try to answer it by reading the code. Consumer code is complex. It took me a long time to really do all the jumps and figure out what actually happens. It's kind of complicated code. You don't have to read the code. You can enable debugging and it will just tell you exactly what it's committing and you can just grab the debug log for offsets committed and you'll see exactly what gets committed and then you'll 100% know. But even cooler, you could check the commit offset topic and just look at what has been committed over the last however long, what offsets are stored there. And even we store there not just the offset, but also how long to retain the offset. So you can actually know if this group is going to get aged out. So this is really cool. Next question. This is from the YouTube channel. Kafka traditionally was seen as high throughput firehose for moving data around. Trade-off was that you can expect some data loss. Do people use it now for messages that cannot tolerate data loss? Does Kafka connect sources ensure that there is no data loss? What are some use cases when stock act should be used? So this is kind of three separate questions. The first is, do people use Kafka for use cases that cannot tolerate data loss? And the answer is absolutely all the time. In fact, I think a lot more than for the traditional Firehose. Like for the last three years, we've seen huge ramp up in cases where users cannot tolerate 
data loss, there is a lot of material existing on how not to experience data loss with Kafka because not all the out-of-the-box tuning is really a good fit. If you go to my presentation when it absolutely positively has to be there, you can get all the tips and tricks on how to tune producers, consumers, and Kafka itself not to lose data. Super important. We, do you ever have cases where customers call you and like, hey, I lost data, what do I do now? How do I get it back? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so we rarely have cases where uh, people are okay with throwing away data. Um, and, but we also surprisingly, you know, we, we have a lot of people who end up surprised that they have their, their settings. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the fact that by default it loses data catches people by surprise. So you definitely have yeah. to do a bit of homework. And so we have the, at, at most once when you can lose data, you have at least once where you don't lose data, but you may have duplicates, but you can also get exactly once, which gives you the best of both worlds. Yeah, and we're seeing more and more use cases. Really? Going, we have yeah. people with exactly once in we the do. wild. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. So the next one was this Kafka Connect tolerate, uh, manage not to lose data from the source. And the answer is that it, in Kafka Connect, the framework supports not losing data, but sources, on the other hand, differ in quality and also sometimes just differ in what they could do. For example, we have a source that just sits and listens on a port for messages coming in through the internet. Well, if a message got lost before it hit the source, that may be a bit of a problem. There's no way to get just messages back from the internet. JDBC source, on the other hand, going to a database and querying, that can be, we can guarantee no loss because we know exactly what we wrote. We have a special topic with the connect offsets in which we actually track not the offsets in Kafka, but the offsets in the source. For example, what was the last timestamp we got from a database or the last uh, primary key ID that we got from a database. So well-written sources, such as the ones written by Confluent, Definitely don't lose data. Uh, other sources, quality varies. When we work with partners, we make sure that their sources are up to our standards. And of course, if you find something random from GitHub, it kind of behooves you to read the source or talk to the person who wrote it and make sure that it matches your use case, among others, in terms of data loss. Okay, another one from YouTube. Uh, this is a response to the Martin Fowler keynote from Kafka Summit London, I think a month back more or less. Did you actually watch the keynotes? I haven't <laughs> watched this one yet. <laughs> you should. It's really, really good. You totally should. It's uh, very much about how to take a web app that is traditionally been request response and how the benefits they get by turning it into event driven. So that's pretty cool. Uh, more on less on how to run Kafka and more on how Ideally, one should use Kafka. The previous guy who asked about uh, how, when do you need uh, to send an ACK, he may benefit from watching mm -hmm. the way Martin Fowler explains the whole workflow. And the question is, at 14.53, so if you jump to that part of the video, do I understand correctly that using Git as an example of event sourcing is not technically right? Indeed, Git does not store deltas but rather snapshots of files for every particular moment. So, and he links to a very nice blog post on Git internals. So first of all, thank you, because I learned quite a bit about Git internals that I did not know before. And what Martin Fowler was saying is that he basically explained what event sourcing system is, which is a system where all the events are stored somewhere like Kafka, 
And at any point in time, you can basically recreate the state of the system at any point in time by just reading this log of events all the way forward and just building up. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and now I know what the state of the world is. So anything that stores the complete history and allows you to recreate it is considered an event sourcing system. And then you ask the audience, did you ever use an event sourcing uh, system? And when there weren't that many hands go up, I mean, it was probably more than I expected, but it's, it is a Kafka summit, so a lot of people do use that pattern, but not that many hands. And then he said, no, you're all wrong, all of you are wrong, because Git, which pretty much 90% of the developers probably use, is exactly like an event sourcing system in the way that you have the commit log and you can recreate the current state of the source code or any state of the source code by just building up on those commits. So while it's true that it doesn't actually works that way behind the scene, the internals, it works by snapshots. Conceptually, that's how it works for us. So it is a good way to kind of analogies that everyone can understand of how event sourcing system work. And I think the goal was really to make people demystify event sourcing. People think it's this big mysterious concept, maybe very cutting edge. Nobody really does it. And he's like, no, 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 you may not implement it that way, but you really do it. So I, I thought it was pretty cool. A lot of times the physical model and the logical model look kind of quite different. If you use a relational database, the nice tables that you're in indexes that you're using, the implementation may be completely different. There aren't, if you open your computer, there are no actual tables and chairs. Anyway, it's where, logical models. <laughs> where can people like me who haven't watched this one yet find all these? Oh, this is on YouTube. We posted all the keynotes, I think, completely on YouTube. And then the other talks, I think we have like promos in YouTube and you have to go to kafkasummit.org to watch the entire thing. But I think the keynotes are 100%. All of them are on YouTube, so you can enjoy that. And then the last one, that was someone who was very nice to us, Warren Henning commented on Kafka and Service Mesh, which was a YouTube uh, talk that I recorded, uh, I think last week, maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago. And he said, this talk was legitimately insightful and informative. Thank you for putting it together and delivering it in such entertaining and easy to understand way. Warren, thank you so much. You totally made my day and my week and I appreciate it. Definitely explaining things in a way that is informative and entertaining is what I wake up in the morning for. So thank you. And that's all we have for today. So thank you so much for joining. It was a lot of fun talking to you and I learned quite a bit about how you build your team and encourage them in their quite challenging job, to be honest. And uh, thank you everyone for your questions. I hope it was helpful. I hope you'll remember to check the offset retention before you shut down consumers. And if you have any more questions related to Apache Kafka, KSQL, our new cl Confluent Cloud, anything else around the stream processing space, let us know via YouTube or via Twitter, or maybe even via Stack Overflow. And uh, we'll um, try to answer what we can here. Thank you. Were we going to sing happy birthday to our very own Tim Bergstrom? We sh no, that's requires singing. Happy birthday, Tim. <laughs> happy birthday, Tim. <laughs> there you have it. I hope that was helpful to you. If you've got questions, you can ask Gwen at, at Gwen Schapp on Twitter. You can ask me at TL Berglund, or you can leave a comment on any of our YouTube videos. We will pick these things up, and your question might be featured on the next episode of Streaming Audio. 
And feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to this podcast, wherever fine podcasts are sold. And if you subscribe through iTunes, be sure to leave us a comment. That helps other people discover the podcast, helps us get the word out, and we appreciate your support. See you next time. <laughs>